Today, uh, we want to start a new series. It's a three-week series on one verse in the Bible. So, uh, one verse, three weeks. And uh, we want to look at the, the Old Testament, the prophet Micah. And specifically this verse in 6.8 in Micah. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you make your way to uh, Micah 6.8. If you uh, got on your phone, I'm uh, preaching out of the New Living Translation. If you've got a, a paper Bible, why don't you open up there. You can maybe make some notes or certain things might uh, jump out at you. But uh, the part of the verse that I want to emphasize before I even... Uh, read the verse, which I will, is uh, to do what is right. <clears throat> so I've titled uh, the service, my sermon this morning, Do What is Right. And there's something even in that uh, title, like, yeah, we should be doing what's right. We know we should be doing what's right. We actually desire to do what's right. Uh, but uh, if, if we think about what is it uh, that is right, and how do we decide uh, did we do what's right? Maybe if you just look back at this week, uh, this past week, did you do what was right? Uh, or if you look back on the last month or the last year, did you do what is right? And you decide what you think is right, just as a starting point. Uh, according to your own estimation of what is right, did you do what was right? And, you know, one level, uh, that's uh, a fairly easy thing to accomplish. Uh, on another level, as soon as you think about it a little bit harder, it's like, no, this is actually extremely difficult to accomplish, uh, even for your own standards. Did you do what is right? What did you want to do that was right? Were you able to do what is right? Uh, and so I, we want to look at this verse today and see what it means in context and what God is talking about and what it means to the people of those in that day and what it means to us today, but what does it mean to do what is right? Uh, you know, as an example, uh, recently on TV there was a story of a police officer down in, in Boston. Uh, I think he was going to do a detail at the Celtics game last week, and it was when we had all this really cold uh, weather and uh, the trains were delayed. And so there were two ladies which came to him and they said, Look, we just missed our train to Maine, uh, is there anywhere we can lock our bags safely while we basically get warm because they don't want to hang out in the uh, North Station? And so as the officer was speaking to them, he found out that one of them uh, had just come up with a train from New York City having had surgery, and they were heading home to Portland, Maine. So uh, he says to them, well, why don't you jump in the cruiser and uh, I'll help you out? And he fills up at the gas station, and then they start driving, and the lady's like, where are you actually taking us? He said, no, I'm taking you to Portland. And so he drove them all the way up to Portland, and of course, they were just floored, you know. Uh, but you think of it, and you think, well, here's a police officer just doing what's right. Um, now, I don't know what he, the police officer had to do in terms of the legalities. I mean, of taking your cruiser outside of Boston, outside of Massachusetts. You know, I don't know how you got all those. But he did the right thing. I mean, he did what was right. And, and when you see it on the news, there's something which warms our heart. You say, that's the right thing to do. I mean, he just really, you know, did a good job for Boston police and good job for helping out uh, a desperate uh, set of, uh, well, you know, women that were 
super uncomfortable. I mean, I don't think it was life and death, but uh, not a good, not a good uh, situation uh, to be in. But there he is just doing what's right. One of the things, though, when we think about what's doing what's right is thinking about, well, are we doing what's right by God? And are we doing what's right uh, with each other? So there's a sense of looking vertically, uh, or if you use the symbol of the cross, there's a vertical component of doing what's right. Then there's a horizontal component like, are we doing what's right by each other? Are we doing what's right by God? Are we doing what's right by each other? Which shapes our thinking as to what is right and how do we do what's right uh, if we thinking, okay, is it right by God? Is it right by others? Or is it just right by ourselves? You see, the problem we have is when we, when we decide what's right and wrong, when we decide what's right, uh, it invariably... Uh, is what's good for us personally. And what's good for us personally, uh, unfortunately, often is self-centered. It's often at the expense of others. So we do need some external sort of help as to what is right in deciding what is right. Because if we just left our own resources, typically it's self-centered and it's, we start justifying uh, what we want and saying, well, that's what's right. Uh, so I do think there's an, an outside aspect, but you know uh, one of the cases that uh, people like C.S. Lewis, uh, a famous British uh, Christian and philosopher and writer, uh, you know he says this is actually one of the cases that we can make for the fact that God is alive, that we are dif different to animals or other creatures. You know, as much as we have so many great dog fans here in the, in, in the church, and there they go waving, and Susan's just getting nervous that I'm going to say something negative about dogs, but, or cats, uh, you know, great cats fans, or, or whatever. But, you know, animals are limited. They don't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to do what's right today. I mean, animals tend to do what they bred, or what their instincts are, or what they've trained to do, uh, and they will do that. But animals in the animal kingdom don't spend a lot of time pondering what is right and what is wrong and should I do the right thing and, and how am I going to go about doing the right thing. Uh, it's a distinctive of the human race. And when people, even if you're a complete disbeliever, if you don't, uh, this would be C.S. Lewis's line, if you don't believe in God at all and uh, then you see something happen in the world and you say, that's just not right. That's totally unfair. Or even saying, you know, there can't be a God because if there was a God, my gosh, how would he allow something like that to happen? And then C.S. Lewis would say, well, how do you know what's right and what's wrong? What is inside of you that's saying that this is not right? Is it perhaps that God has designed each one of us to have a sense of we need to do what's right and we want justice and we want things to be uh, done the right way. And when we connect with God and there's God's involved in our lives, he helps us and shapes us to say, this is what is right. This is what justice looks like. This is what uh, treating people correctly should be like. And so uh, we you know, have a whole deeper understanding of thinking about, well, what is right? So uh, let me just uh, pray and then we'll read this uh, little verse in Micah. It's a powerful verse. Jesus, I just ask today that uh, 
as I read your word, you would shape our lives. You would help us to do what's right, do what's right by you, and do what's right by, by others, by our family, by our friends, by people in the church. But Lord, I just ask that you'd put power on my preaching this morning, that uh, you'd use me to uh, explain your word, and that your word would have its power and impact in our lives. So we lift up this morning's service uh, and leave it to you, Jesus, to do what you want to do in each of our lives. In your name, Jesus, amen. So if we read uh, Micah 6, 8, and I'm re reading from the New Living Translation, it says this, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And today I want to focus on to do what is right. Next week we'll look at to love mercy. And then the last week in this uh, series we'll talk about to walk humbly with your God. But let me just read that again. Obviously this is in context because it starts verse 8. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. This is what he requires of you. To do what is right. God is saying to us, look, we all need to do what is right. He's told us what to do, now do it. Uh, there's some great comfort that we have in the prophets. And in this particular case, there's a prophet which is doing sort of what a priest or a pastor does on a regular day basis. He's saying, let me take the word of God and let me explain what it is. And let me encourage the people to do what God is saying is right. And in some ways, the prophet will uh, highlight what's happened when people haven't done what's right, uh, particularly in this case, and then say, if you'll just do what is right, God wants what's best for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to uh, direct you. He wants to shape you. But he can only do it if you do what's right. And so uh, as a church, uh, you know, this particular verse is really, really significant for us uh, because it's part of uh, a vision that we have for our church. It's like a a table that has four legs, and we've got these four different uh, verses in the Bible which shape us. And this particular verse, do what is right, uh, you know, have compassion, walk humbly with your God, uh, an emphasis on justice, it just is such a great uh, vision, it's such a great uh, aspect for us as a church, because even people that are not believers would come and say, yes, it's the right thing to do. Uh, we want to act justly. We want to be kind. We want to do the right thing. You know, we want to be moral. We want to be upright people. Uh, uh, a complete outsider would agree with that. Uh, now, the other tables, uh, other, should I say, the legs of this table for our, our vision, uh, I've titled them all Great, Great Compassion, which would be this verse, uh, Micah. But then they've got the Great Commission, very well known, uh, end of the book of Matthew, Jesus saying, going to all the world and make disciples. And then we've got Jesus' commandment, which we call the Great Commandment. Uh, Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And of course, there's overlap here, because when we do the right thing, we're loving God and we're loving our neighbor. 
And then the fourth leg of this table would be great companionship, where Moses you know, is connected with God in, in Exodus 33, and he's basically saying, look, God, we don't want to do things on our own. Unless you come with me, what's going to distinguish us from all the other people? You know, I, we need your presence. And uh, you know, as a vineyard, as a movement, uh, we just really, this is a big deal for us. If we can't connect with the presence of God, my gosh, then you just end up doing a religious ritual and you know, there's just an emptiness. So the presence of God and the justice of God and the commandment of God and the commission of God, you know, these are all uh, part of the vision that, uh, that we're just really excited about. And it's broad and there's a place for everybody and different people are excited about different aspects. But we can all agree that what the Lord requires of us is to do what is right to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is uh, what we try and do as a church. Now there's actually a, you know, that's coming out of the Old Testament, that's coming out of a prophet, uh, and there's actually a New Testament equivalent of this idea, of this verse, and it's in the little book of Titus. And in Titus 3.8 it says this, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to insist on these teachings, so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. So, you know, the Apostle Paul is uh, teaching Titus, his upcoming uh, leader, and he says, listen, all instructions are good, uh, and it's good that you learn them, and it's good that you listen to what I've been telling you to do. In other words, you know, take the Bible seriously. Uh, and he's saying... It's uh, devote yourself to doing good. You kind of summarize them. He says, like, you've got all these commands to do good. Now, Titus, get out there and do good. You know, it's just a, a good uh, understanding of basically what we should be about. And I think we want to do good. I think we want to be people that do the right thing. Uh, in a similar way, we've got a number of prophets that are speaking in the Old Testament. And now, uh, if you've got your bulletin insert, I have a very uh, bad typo in the back page there. And I said, these guys, these prophets were in the year 500 before Christ. It was actually 700. Now, I was all of that just because Liza is here today, and Liza's going to study archaeology in Israel. And so I gave Liza the assignment to find the typo. Uh, because <clears throat> if you're going to be an archaeologist, you want to be looking in the right era of uh, what it is that you're looking for. But from your standpoint, let me just say this. Uh, God was pretty active in this season, about 700 years before Jesus was born, uh, in trying to reshape the Jewish people who were kind of doing their own thing. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And God was trying to speak to them and say, please, will you consider doing what's right in my eyes? And people were saying, well, you know, I, I think I've got a better idea than you, God. I'll do whatever I want to do. And they're doing what's right in their eyes. And it's going really, really badly for them. But they're pursuing it. And so God, in his grace, sends these prophets. And he sends like super educated, smart prophets like Isaiah. And then he sends prophets from the backwoods of the world, you know. And these guys like Micah, it's like some farming area away from Jerusalem. And he's just, they're just speaking to the, the, the leaders and the people of the day. Different people 
same message. It's just like, sort your lives out. Follow God. Stop doing what's evil. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. What you're doing is really offensive. It's not only offensive to God. It's offensive to the relationships that you're living in. And he's just encouraging them again and again. And so you've got Isaiah, this like super huge prophet, one of my favorites, and he's saying almost an identical message. Now, Isaiah is a contemporary of this prophet Micah. They're both speaking at the same time. They probably, I don't know if they know each other or not, or if they're crossing paths or not, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but Isaiah says this in Isaiah 1.17, right at the beginning of the book. He says, learn to do good. I mean, that's his opening phrase, seek justice. I mean, this is like an echo of what Micah is saying, or maybe it's Micah is an echo of what Isaiah is saying. Help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. Or as Micah is saying it, do what is good. Do what the Lord requires of you. So we see uh, the, the prophet in, the, <clears throat> in context. He's speaking to the nation of, Ju- uh, of Judah, Uh, The kingdom is now divided, the Jewish people, the northern part is called Israel, the bottom is called Judah, and uh, Israel sort of kicked out God quicker than Judah did, and so Israel fell away sooner, they were overtaken by the Assyrians, and uh, the bottom half, Judah, they lasted a little bit longer, but finally the Babylonians uh, wiped them out. But the prophets are sort of speaking to them and saying, listen, I don't want to wipe you out. I want to protect you. I want to bless you. Um, Listen to what I'm saying. This little prophet Micah, he speaks to three different uh, kings that are reigning over uh, Judah. He speaks to the reign of Jotham, who was a pretty decent king. And then we had King Ahaz, who was an absolute disaster. And then his son Hezekiah ends up being a really good king. And so the, the... the, the prophet is trying to make a difference. He's trying to encourage his people. He's trying to say, this is what you should do. Uh, do the right thing. Now, you know, as I was reading through the book of Micah, I was just uh, listing some of the things that the people were doing that weren't the right thing. Because, you know, sometimes we think, oh, man, these prophets are a little kind of harsh. You know, what is it actually that they speaking against? What is it that's offending God? What is it that's made God so sort of uh, concerned that he's sending a prophet down to correct the behavior. Well, the first thing we pick up in, in uh, Micah 2.2 is that the leaders are removing the people from their land and from their homes. Now, what's going on here is this. It happens, uh, it's happening now in China in a huge way. It's happening in America in a huge way, where our cities are growing and our um, farmlands are sort of getting you know, people are moving out of the farm, rural areas into the urban areas. And unfortunately, what often happens is the people that have money uh, don't do right to the farmers. Now, Micah happens to come from a farming area, so he's like more than sensitive about the farmers. And what's happening here is the, the rich people are taking away the land of the poor, either by force or just like they just have money so they can just buy them out. Or But mostly it's like illegally. They just... Uh, able to remove them from their land. And what God was saying to the people, he said, I want everybody to have their own land, and this is like God's blessing to them. And so it's a big deal to God if people are removed from their land. Um, And so he's chastising the leaders 
and those that have power. He says, don't remove the people from their land. So that's uh, Micah 2.2. And then in, in 3.10, he says, listen, you guys are murderers. Not only are you murderers, but you're full of corruption. So stop murdering people and stop being corrupt. And then he goes on and it says in 3.11, you see what he means by corruption. Well, there's bribes. And in 3.11, you also realize it's not just the marketplace. It's not just the businessmen. It's the priests. And so the priests have this little racket going on as well. They say, look, you know, uh, it's all about money. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pray a blessing over you. But, you know, give me some money first. And if you don't give me any money, then, you know, no blessing. And, and so the priests were on the take. Uh, not a good place to be. And then these false prophets, you know, yeah, I'll tell you what God's saying in your life. Uh, you know, person would say whatever they wanted to say. Just tell the person what they wanted to hear. And, you know, whatever the person was coming to the prophet, basically saying, look, do I have approval from God? What is God saying in my life? And then the false prophet would just say, well, I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. And it might be far from what God is actually saying. And then people were using dishonest scales. In other words, the unit of measure was all rigged. It's like going to the gas tank and you think you're filling up your car with 10 gallons of gas. But meantime, you know, you're only getting eight and, and you're getting charged for 10. Uh, and then there was extortion and there was violence. Uh, and the leaders were particularly problematic and people were very keen to follow the leaders just because the leaders were the leaders and they were saying what they were doing. Uh, in this case, particularly Ahab, even the officials and the judges in verse 7-3 are demanding bribes. You know, so if your court system and your officials all need bribes before you can do anything, it's a hugely problematic situation. And, you know, we've dealt with this in admissions trips uh, where it's so corrupt that you can't actually help the people because in trying to help the people, you have to pay a bribe to every individual, you know, in the way. Think about one of the great things, you know, we might think we've got troubles here in the, in, in the States, but, you know, you wouldn't, if, you get, if you're going down 495 and you get, you're going too fast and the police officer pulls you over, you probably wouldn't, like, slip him 100 bucks when, he, when you give your Massachusetts driver's license. It probably won't go that well for you. I mean, that wouldn't be like the expected thing to do. But I can tell you, in many countries where I go, uh, if you get pulled over the police, uh, the, the expected thing would be you do give, like, especially when it's around about Christmas time. You know, they, the police are pulling over, like, for any old reason, because, yeah, and just, you feel awful. I mean, it's like, if the system is so corrupt, now imagine if you escalate that to where the judge you know, okay, I've got to slip the judge a few before I'll... I mean, it's no hope. Uh, and, you know, at least, like I say, in the States, we have a system of law and order. I mean, it gets tested and pulled and tried, and, and we go crazy at times, but we have a great system. In this context, it is gone. There was no system of law and order. Everything was corrupt. People were doing what was right in their own eyes. And so Micah is speaking to them and saying, don't do this, don't do this. You know, and King Ahaz, uh, this particularly grievous king, and you can read about it in Second uh, Chronicles 28, uh, King Ahaz was particularly uh, egregious to God because the first thing he does is he says, look, I'm done with you, God. I'm done with the Hebrew God. I'm going to take on the God of the foreigners. And so he 
casts uh, images into the foreign, uh, it makes foreign gods and starts worshipping them. And not only that, he brings those images to the, the temple in Jerusalem, shuts the temple doors so people can't get into the temple and sets up his other false-like images and said, now you'll worship these. Now that doesn't go well with God. That's not like the, the, the plan A. And then, because the other gods uh, require like sacrifices, Ahaz like, sacrifices his two sons in fire, kills them, offering, burnt offering. Oh, it's good. That's what the foreign gods want. I've got to appease the gods. And I mean, you know, we're just real at this stuff. And you wonder why God is like a little, you know, upset with the surrounding nations around the, the, the Jewish people when they moved in. Anyway, so God is trying to do reforms. Now, I'll say this. When you try and do the right thing, today's Martin Luther King weekend. Think about Martin Luther King, Jr. I mean, he did the right thing, but man, was it difficult. It sure was. Just because you're going to do the right thing doesn't mean it's going to be the easy thing. Often the easy thing is the wrong thing, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. For most things, you know, if you do the right thing, it's the easy thing, it's the correct thing, it's the respected thing, and you should do it. But I am saying, just like Martin Luther King Jr., there will be times in your life when you try and do the right thing, especially the right thing and the godly thing, you will pick up resistance. I mean, it's just frustrating and amazing how people will start attacking you, start accusing you, start questioning your motives. Uh, you know, you'll be looked up up and down in every which way from the wrong aspect because you're trying to do the right thing. But what I'm saying to you is just persevere. Do the right thing. Do the godly thing. Uh, and you'll very quickly realize when you're trying to do the right thing, uh, you will run out of strength on your own to do the right thing. There's a sense where we are dependent on God to do the right thing. There is, a, they'll come pretty quickly a time when you say, God, I need your help. Lord, I, I need your strength to do the right thing. You know, even at the decision-making process, Lord, I need your wisdom to make the right decisions, to know what's the right thing. Uh, you know, so God is encouraging us. He says, learn the word of God. Learn what God is saying. And then once you've learned the word of God, then you still need the spirit of God to implement the word of God so that you can do the right thing. I mean, it's not okay not to know the Word of God, then you don't know what's right and wrong. Uh, it's also not okay to know the Word of God, but not do the Word of God. You need to be able to implement what God is asking you to implement and do. Uh, and doing the right thing takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of effort, and it actually takes the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living within us, giving us life, giving us courage, giving us His thoughts, giving us His plans, giving us His initiative, and then asking and encouraging us to go along with what the Holy Spirit is doing and to follow Him and to be with Him. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's probably going to be hard. But the Lord is encouraging you to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Surround yourself with the right people so that you can have a, you know, a team to do the right thing. So let me just uh, end with that and say Jesus was our model. Jesus came to do the right thing. He came to do things right. Uh, in this parallel verse in Isaiah, where Isaiah and Micah are saying the same thing, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, 
defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of the widows. This is Isaiah. The verse before that in context is saying this, wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up all your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. And so Isaiah is saying to the people, he's saying, listen, you need to get right. You need to get right with God. You need to get clean. And, you know, it's a great analogy because we think of ourselves as taking a shower and, you know, just getting clean. And yet what the prophet is saying, it's not that kind of clean. It's clean like right with God. You need to be right with God. And then you need to do right with people. And Jesus is saying, that's why I came to die on the cross, to help you, to enable you to do what you cannot do. You cannot clean yourself up enough to be right with God. Jesus is saying, I can only, I'm the only person, the only way that you can be made right with God is by inviting me into your life and allowing me to be the Lord, which means the boss, and you follow me and do what I'm asking you to do. That'll be the right thing to do with God. That's the starting point. It's only the starting point. And then to live for God, uh, again, the, the picture of the cross, the vertical and horizontal. Be right with God and do right with people of God. And Jesus, again and again, is telling us to repent and to uh, do right in relationships and to be loving, to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, so this is the challenge that we have, and we cannot do it in our own strength. The, the sooner we realize that we can't, the better off we are. If we head strong, we say, yeah, I can do all that on my own. Uh, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. So um, let me just close with a prayer. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you that you have come and made a way. Not only are you the truth, not only do you say that you are the living word, uh, that you put this universe together and you know how it should run the best. Uh, you've put us together and you know how we should run and how we can live the best. You desire us to follow you. You desire to help us. And you love us. And Lord, it's just remarkable that you love us despite how often we mess up. And Lord, you desire to empower us. And you said you'd give us your Holy Spirit to reside and to live within us. And we thank you that your Spirit does. And Lord, I just pray for your blessing. I just pray for your people. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them today, that you'd encourage them, that you'd bless them. Lord, that every person would feel personally loved by you and encouraged by you. We thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross so that we could have a real relationship with God, the Father. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you humbled yourself to become a human, and yet you're fully God. Lord, empower all of us today, this week, this year, to do what is right. Allow your Holy Spirit to move in us, to quicken us, to do what is right, to chastise us when we're doing what's wrong or thinking about what's wrong. Lord, I just pray your blessing on your people today. In your name, Jesus. Amen.